called it, and this morning we're going to finish it up. And then we're going to move into a time of preparing our hearts for uh, Christmas. So we, if you're a Christian, if you are someone who has um, been born into a, a spiritual relationship with Jesus, if you are a follower of Christ, we are his disciples. We are students of Jesus. It's important because Jesus has a way about him. There is a manner in which he lived. There was purpose in his steps. There was a rhythm to his life. Discipleship is walking with Jesus and learning this way. Some people would say discipleship is learning the way of Jesus. The things he taught, the way he lived, the purpose behind what he did, what he, why he did what he did. Jesus, the way of Jesus, when you look at his life, it was built around what we talked about last week was the beat. We got the beat. Here's what it is. The rhythms of Jesus' life were built around a beat. The beat is that God is real. He was always talking to the Father. That God is good. Jesus, everything he did was because God is good. His will is best. The other part of the beat is that God is with me. He was never alone. And that God has it factored, has it all factored in. This is the beat that Jesus lived by. The rhythms he built around. It's good for us to know as disciples of Jesus because there are things that we have to navigate in this life. From the time we are born and we start to think on our own to the time that we take our last breath on earth, there are things that you are going to have to navigate that no one else has to. Now, they may have to go through the same thing, but they're not you. You have to do it. No one can do it for you. No one can do it for me. There are things we have to navigate. And Ecclesiastes has been an open-hearted, raw search for meaning and purpose trying to navigate the ups and downs of this world. Solomon calls it life under the sun. The things that we all have to do. Now, throughout the book, Solomon, if you've noticed, if you've been reading and going along with the reading plan, you've noticed that there's repetition. There's a couple of things that he emphasizes more than others. Things like there are some stuff that we can't control. Time and chance, they happen to everybody. The sun rises and sets on the, the good and the evil alike. Can't control the sun. There are things we can't control, but there are some things we can control. There are some things that we do have authority over. We can't control time, but we can control how we use our time. There's this sense that there's a linear path that we all have to walk, but there's a vertical connection to God, no matter where we are. 
the linear and the vertical at the same time. There's this crossroads between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of men. There's this way to be in the world but not of the world. It's this place I've called the radical middle. And life in the radical middle requires radical rhythms. So open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. We're going to launch out from those same verses that we did last week. And I want to point out, there's a lot. You spend the rest of your life, okay, learning to walk in these rhythms. Things that that you need. Healthy habits, good things. You're going to spend the rest of your life walking through them. So we're not going to cover them all today, but we're going to talk about the ones, a few of them that Solomon talks about in Ecclesiastes. So chapter 12, verses 9 through 14. I'm going to read it in... Uh, the New Living Translation. So the words might look a little different, but I think we'll have it up on the screen. It says this, Keep this in mind. The teacher was considered wise, and he taught the people everything he knew. He listened carefully to many proverbs, studying them and classifying them. The teacher sought to find just the right words to express Truths clearly. The words of the wise are like cattle prods, painful but helpful. Their collected sayings are like a nail-studded stick with which a shepherd drives the sheep. But my child, let me give you some further advice. Be careful, for writing books is endless, and much study wears you out. That's the whole story. Now, here is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commandments, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. I've picked five rhythms that I want to move through with you guys today. As we finish this up, Solomon's saying he, he worked real hard and tried to use just the right words to lay out wise sayings to give us healthy rhythms. It was on purpose that he laid things out the way he did, that he gave an open, he was an open book with his own personal struggles. But like I said, there's gold interwoven into the pages and into the words of Ecclesiastes. And if you look for it, there's some beauty in there. And we're going to look at them right now. So I want to identify five healthy rhythms that could, we're going to call them radical rhythms because it just makes us sound way more punk rock. The first one is this. The first one is this. These are rhythms. These are things that you have to do practices. First one is this. Identify the stronghold of your heart. It's a rhythm. Identify the stronghold of your heart. What is a stronghold? A stronghold is a fortified place. It's a place of security or survival. In their day, cities were fortified. If you were out with a group of people and your group grew and you had some some goods, all of a sudden you were vulnerable to attack. So what would you do? You would start by building a a camp 
And then as you grew in number and grew in strength, you would build a walled-in city, a castle. You would have walls around it. It's a place of security, a place of purpose, a place of survival. Strongholds are humanity's oldest antidote to anxiety because we are worried about what could happen, so we protect ourselves. We all have them, all of us. And we feel safe behind their walls. I'm reading a book right now. Actually, I just finished not too long ago. Amazing book. I recommend it to anyone. It's called this, A Non-Anxious Presence. Because what our world needs, what I want is to be a steadfast person in such an up and down world. That's part of what, what we say with our team here at the bridge is, is how do we become a steadfast place in a roller coaster world where we'll see you on Sunday. We'll be here. We'll be prepared. We'll be ready. We want to learn how to, how to be steadfast. Parents, we do this, right? Our kids are like, bah, bah, all over the place. And don't we find ourselves right there with them? And we're like, no, we want to try to learn how to be more steadfast. Uh, in this book, A Non-Anxious Presence, Mark Sayer says this. He says that the stronghold of self is the greatest stronghold of our day. He says, actually, and then he adds to it, the stronghold of self is the greatest fantasy of our day. It's this idea that if there's this place that if we can just get there, everything will be better. If we could just get to this thing, we'll be good. That's what Solomon's search was. If I could just get, have this many experiences, I'll be enough. It'll be enough. Was it? He said, no. If I could just make this much money, if I could just have this much wealth, status, partners, all of this, then it'll be enough. They were strongholds in his heart. This is original sin, the Bible calls it. This is what the devil came at Adam and Eve with, the stronghold of self. Did God really say that he knew what was best for you? God's holding out on you. He just doesn't want you to think for yourself. For when you think for yourself, you will be God. The stronghold of self is a fantasy. The problem for Solomon is that we see when we go through the pages is that when he got there, it felt good for a minute, and then it was the same old cycle. Vanity. Just didn't do what he hoped it would do. That's the thing about fantasy strongholds. The very thing that brings you comfort or satisfaction for a short time becomes the next thing you feel like is holding you back from the place you're actually supposed to be. So we look for the next quick fix. It wasn't here. It must be there. Nope, it's not there. So it must be there. These are strongholds. In this life, there will always be a linear pull and there will always be a vertical invitation. Maybe that's worth jotting down. In this life, you're always going to feel a pull toward a stronghold, something that you desire that you think will bring you satisfaction, purpose, and comfort. But maybe in that place, remember, there's always an invitation to connect vertically with the Lord. Look at how Jesus went through this. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was led by the Spirit to the wilderness. 
where he was tempted. Check this out. And Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. There's a linear and a vertical connection. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness place, just like Solomon was, just like we are. And the temptation is to look for what you want in something that you can do or you can get. That's what the devil does to Jesus. And Jesus says this, man doesn't live by bread alone. We need it. But by every word, there's there's a radical middle. There's a connection point where we have to live this life that we live, but God wants to meet us in that place. Jesus went there first. So we want to identify the strongholds of our hearts. It requires thought and honesty. The second rhythm is this. Give the people close to you the best version of you. We just had Thanksgiving. Hopefully some of you were able to meet with your families, and if there was no intense family drama, it's a success, right? You're like, we made it through. Didn't know if we were going to there for a minute, but we made it through. No one's mad. There's nothing that needs to get patched up. Rhythm number two, give people close to you the best version of you. Let me read you guys a couple of the the short sections in Ecclesiastes. Chapter 5, starting in verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. For when goods increase, they increase those who eat them. What advantage has their owner but to see them with their eyes? Verse 12. This is a verse, This I think I told you this. This verse hit me so hard, and I thought about it for so long, I built the whole series around verse 12. Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Chapter 4, verse 7. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son nor brother, yet there is no end to his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. But if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has no other to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. I don't know if you catch it, but the theme in there is you can have a lot of stuff for yourself and it not be the best version of you. The best version of you, the best you is connected to God and connected to people. The best you is connected, is the connected you. Connected to God and connected to others. 
If you believe the beat that I talked about last week, if you believe that God is real and God is good and God is with you and God has factored it all in, then you know that God wants the best for you and he will lead you in that way if you follow him. And then you put yourself right in the middle of your circumstances. And if you're honest, you are like me and you say, I don't necessarily know what to do here. Parents, I didn't know how little I had it figured out. It's, it's been said I was an awesome parent until I had kids. And then, I'm, and then we, we have a tendency to just be a better parent than that person over there. When we watch, you're like, oh, my gosh, how could they let their kids fill in the blank? So then we're not a good parent. We just compare ourselves to others, and we're better than them. But as parents, we have so many decisions. We want to do the right thing. But then you read stuff like this, and it's like, let me tell you, and Solomon kind of boils it down to its brass tacks, and he says this. If you read that stuff as poetry and you're looking for what it's saying, he's saying this, parents, it's better to know your kids than to be rich. Over and over, he was like, I've seen it. It's an evil thing under the sun. Someone toils and works their butt off, and they think they're providing a future for their family, but they don't even get a decent burial because they don't even know their family. And the kids look at their father as someone who gave them some money, not someone who gave them a legacy. The best you is a connected you. So we want to give the people close to us the best version of us. That's the rhythm. It's better to know your family than to be rich. There's things too. Husbands and wives are in here. Where it talks about live your life with the love of your youth. But then Solomon had 700 wives, 300 wives, 700, you know, Side gals. <laughs> uh, and yet, when he comes back to what he, he went all the way down that road, and this is what he says, it's better to experience all of life with one person than to experience the same few things with a lot of people. Is marriage easy? No. Is, does it take work? Yep. But as you get to know and do life with another person, is there more fruit in know, truly being connected to someone than there is to making out with lots of people? He would say, in his experience, it's better. People close to you want the best version of you. Why do I talk about marriage and why does he talk about marriage? Because here's a stronghold in our society. I'm not happy. My spouse isn't doing it for me. There's probably someone else. Stronghold. Where will I find comfort? Where will I find happiness? Where will I find love? So, we, so it becomes the fantasy of that if I escape there, then it'll be good. We have them at work. This job is horrible. Nobody respects me. Nobody sees me. I am not valued. Therefore, I need to go. Now, you might need to go to another job because the linear path that we have when you're walking with Jesus, sometimes the answer is you need another job. Sometimes the answer is you need to stick it out here. 
Sometimes the answer is you're being prideful, you're thinking too much of yourself, and sometimes the answer is you need to speak up for what you're worth. But the idea behind it all is that in our mind we're looking for an escape. Employees. The best version of you at work. If we're single, the best version of you is not the version of you that has somebody else. The best version of you is the connectedness to the Lord. He will lead you in the way that you're supposed to go. And then if you do meet someone, if that's where your path goes, what do you want that person to have? The best version of you. So we say when you're, if you uh, are in a place in your life where you are um, single, God can do things in your life now that he won't be able to when you're married. Every married person can be like, amen. You have way more time. Your life is about you and the Lord. It's not all of these other things and other people as well. But instead of focusing on finding the right person, focus on becoming the right person. The best version of you is the connected version of you. You know what all of this requires? Prayer. See, how do you, connecting to God, that's what prayer is. It's verbal connection. Now, Solomon could just say, hey, here's five healthy, five healthy rhythms to be a better Christian. He could say, pray. Okay, thanks, Solomon. We'll see in some of these other ones. But instead of saying, be a better prayer, it's as if he was saying, live a life that requires prayer. Instead of pray more, it's live a life that requires prayer. God, help me. Lord, help me in this decision. Help me in this relationship. Help me in my family. Because your, li- your prayer life gets real specific when you're in the thick of it. And Solomon was in the thick of it. And so are we. This is a rhythm. Prayer is a rhythm. Connectedness is a rhythm. You give the people the best you when you give God the real you. The next rhythm we see is make giving part of your getting. Rhythm is something that you do, something you practice. And one of the things Solomon talks about is make giving part of your gaining. So much of Ecclesiastes talks about gaining. Solomon says, I looked around and what was to be gained in this world? What could I get so I want, he said, I wanted this stuff for myself, so I went out and I got all of this for myself. It's all about gaining, gaining, gaining. And then he always says, actually, I didn't gain a thing. I lost. So we draw the conclusion, if your focus is on getting alone, just getting, you'll never have enough. Solomon could have just said, hey, be more generous. Pray more. And be more generous. And spared us the reality of a struggle. Instead, he opened it up and we, we stepped through it day by day, thought by thought, attitude by attitude, practice by practice, to realize when he lived forgetting, he never got enough. But at the end, when he says, here's the end of the matter, fear God, keep his commandments, for this is the end of man, and God will bring everything into light. Giving is different than charity. 
we live in a world that says, oh, give a little bit to charity. Um, was Giving Tuesday, was it just this last week or is it next week? It's next week. So, okay, Tuesday. It's coming. Giving Tuesday. Now, I personally am very torn about Giving Tuesday. Oh, I, I didn't plan that. We'll open up the hood and let you guys know how my brain works a little bit. Giving Tuesday. People are like, so it's, it's called Giving Tuesday. But it, the people that promote it, it's actually Getting Tuesday. Because they're going to say, here's why you should give to us. Now, this is where I'm torn. Because you're going to give to good things. There's a lot of good things. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's a place where all nonprofits, they really push what they're doing, and you can give to help them. Is that good? Yes. But it's like we, you really push, like, oh, if we really push for people to give on Giving Tuesday, we can really get. And so I'm like, I'm torn because I don't want to tell everybody, okay, coming up this Tuesday, we have a great vision for this next year. We want to hire another pastor. We, want, we see what God is doing, and this is awesome. And so some people would say, well, you're just not giving people vision. And I'm like, am I? Or am I just trying to rally the troops for people to really give a lot to something? I'm torn on the inside. Because the more scripture I read, the more it says, I know what you need. So seek first the kingdom of God, and I will add these things. But it also says where there is no vision, the people perish. So I'm always torn. How much do you ask without being needy? How much do you, you, it's just a funny thing. But giving, uh, what did I have, it, how did I have it written? Giving, what, this what we're talking about here, make giving part of your gaining that's different than charity. Because you can give to a charity, give to a cause, and not be giving like the Lord talks about. You're giving to something, feels good, you feel nice. Um, you're helping support a cause. What he is talking about is a rhythm. I put this. Tithing is different than tipping. Tipping is, oh, good job. Here's a little something for yourself. Tithing takes all of this stuff into consideration your whole life and says, God, I trust you. When you give in the way God talks about, it is a rhythm that simultaneously both gives praise and relinquishes control. No longer does this control you. I give up control of this to you, God. So as you're gaining and working hard, the rhythm of giving relinquishes control and the stronghold of what we think wealth can bring us. It shakes up our spirits. And if you are a giver, you know that this is true. If you have a rhythm of giving, if you are a giving person, and it's a response to who God is, you begin to see more and more what? How much you have. The, the people in my life that I talk to and they speak into my life, they're the most giving people because they have, they have the most wisdom to give to me. The more you give, the more you see what you have. And I am fascinated. The more I, I, the more you realize you, you don't deserve what you have. It's a gift of the Lord. It's so good. And he's, he gives so much. And then your natural response is, Lord, I give back. It's a rhythm. It's a practice. 
we live in a very entitled world. Everybody wants to talk about the entitlement of the youth, which is a real thing. But the youth have entitlement issues because we built the world around them so much so that they think the world revolves around them. But we do the same thing. See, entitlement says, give me. Where's mine? Entitlement is me. Gratitude says, thank you. Entitlement, me. Gratitude, you. The simplest way to begin the rhythm of giving and gratitude, could you give a compliment? Could you say thank you? Solomon says at the the end of it, he's like, when I was living with an inward focus, I was empty. But when we live for Jesus, he begins to turn our hearts outward. Starts with a simple thank you. It it, It means make more of others than you do yourself. Make giving part of your gaining. Okay, two more. Next one. Actually, let me give you a verse, something Jesus said, then we'll move to the next one. He says it like this, make giving part of your getting. And I say that way because you, you need to work. See, the linear rhythm is some people need to be gaining so you can be giving. That's why getting a job would be a good next step. But Solomon didn't say, here's a healthy rhythm, get a job. (laughs) That's what dads tell their sons, I think, at least in TV shows. But the rhythm is, as you are working and gaining, remember to give it back. Jesus said it like this in Matthew, the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, all this stuff about living, and then he boils it down and he says, but seek first the kingdom of God, what God is doing. And his righteousness. And then all of these things will be added to you. God has a way of giving you what you need. And making it better than what you think. If you would put him first. Alright next one. Seek wisdom over might. Now hopefully you guys are jotting these down. Because I made them to where you have to think about them. That way it's not a to do checklist where you leave and you're like got it be more generous pray more heard it before on to football this is why i did it this way what does that mean make giving part of my getting the idea is that you would look at it and think about it discuss it with your life group take it to the text see what solomon was saying identify the strongholds of your heart that requires effort You can't be like, oh, that was good, or "Ah, it wasn't super catchy. No, it requires being like, are there things that pull pull my heart in a certain direction? The next one, seek wisdom over might. What is it that you're looking for? Look at these verses, uh, chapter 9. I have seen this example of wisdom under the sun. I love this. He adds this little story in there. It almost doesn't fit. I have seen, I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was this little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it. 
building great siege works against it. So there's this little town, no big deal, just a little community. And this big old empire came and they set up the, the uh, trebuchets. It makes me think where they can be far off and just hurl rocks and destroy it. And you have to surrender. And this great king came and built siege works against it. But there was found in the city a poor, wise man. And he, by his wisdom, delivered the whole city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. Verse 16. But I say that wisdom is better than might. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard, the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouter of a ruler among fools. These are words to live by. You want a healthy rhythm in your life? Put to practice what we're being told here is a great example of wisdom in your life. What does it say? Well, first of all, he says, wisdom isn't the loud voice. Oftentimes the loud voice, the ones that people, that has this great siege works that looks powerful, it loses to wisdom. It also tells us this. Don't ever be too old to learn something new. Somebody needs to hear that today. You think that you've arrived or that you, all you have, your relationships with people are a one-way street, meaning this. You tell them what they need because you know. Don't be that person. That is not a wise attitude. We learn from our children every day what kindness looks like, what inclusiveness looks like, what problem solving can look like. When kids are doing a good job, they can bury the hatchet real quick, unless they're siblings. Um, Then that's another story. But kids have this natural, we learn, don't ever be too old to stop learning. And here's the reality. Sometimes it takes years to become ready for what God has already planned for you. Sometimes it takes years to become ready for what God has already planned. How old was David when he got anointed to be king over Israel? Twelve. How old was he when he sat on the throne? Thirty. Something like that. Twenty-five years later. Sometime, why? Because he was being prepared to lead like God wanted him to lead. So don't ever be too old to stop learning. Don't ever ask, like it says, chapter 7, verse 10, say not, why were the former days better than these? What happened to the good old days? Why can't we just get back? He says, don't ask this. It is not from wisdom that you ask this. What is it about the good old days? Good stories from the good old days. The good old days remind me of the, you know, they say. I'm always like, who's they? And then the good old days. I'm like, where were they? Did I get, was there like an email that went out that didn't come to my inbox? Because I never got forwarded the good old days email. Because the reality is, the good old days, I heard one person say, uh, 
It's been said that the good old days are a combination of a bad memory and a good imagination. Because oftentimes it wasn't as good as you remember. You know what's so good about the good old days? It was familiar. It wasn't foreign. You were used to it. That's why when you read Exodus and the children of Israel were longing to go back to the place of captivity, we, we look back and be like, what is wrong with you guys? Why would you want to go back to an oppressive system? They said, at least we had food every day. It was familiar. You could set your clock to it. You knew Monday through Friday what was going to happen. The radical middle, you didn't need to worry about it because it was just another Tuesday. It was easier in a lot of respects. But wisdom is better than might. Some of you, some of us, were so in a cycle it's harder, and there's no, t- there's no time to add new rhythms in your life. Hey, we should get together and have dinner. Yeah, awesome. When can we do it? Four months from now, on a Thursday, from 6 to 7.15, we are available. Ooh, that time's not going to work for me. We have no more time to add something. You can't just add a new rhythm. If you want to say yes to something, you have to say no to something else. And we stop saying no to new things because we feel like they're not as good as what we used to have. So here we are stuck in the cycle where we are looking down at the world around us, looking down at the people around us. All the while we have some fantasy of what the world's supposed to look like and where we're supposed to be, and we feel lonelier than ever. But there are rhythms that God has set in place that he would ask you to jump in. Listen to what he said to the children of Israel that he is saying to us. Isaiah 43, verse 18 and 19. Maybe this is a word from the Lord for you. It says this, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old, to let them go over in your mind over and over. God says, behold, I am doing a new thing, and it is happening right now. Do you not see it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. God is up to something. And if you would join alongside with rhythms in your life of what he was doing, he's saying he's going to make a way forward that he can't explain to you that you're going to grasp, but you're going to experience it. Wisdom is better than strength. Wisdom seeks to understand, while might only seeks to be understood. Last one is this. Start today. Start today. Chapter 11, verse 4. Another little bit of gold for you. He who observes the wind will never sow, and he who regards the clouds will never reap. I married a farmer's daughter. Um, I love watching the the agricultural stuff that happens around here. The reality is this. If you watch the wind, when you wait for the perfect time, it doesn't come. People say, oh, we want to have kids one day, but we want to be more financially secure first. I try to not laugh out loud at that. 
because I know what they're saying. But the reality is if you wait until you're financially secure, when is enough enough? If you wait, people are overwhelmed by the things in their life that are out of control. People are stressed out, looking for a stronghold, a a safe place. But the whole point is this. Jesus can be the center no matter your circumstances or your age or your past or your present. The whole point is start today what Jesus is saying. You know, I can't undo the past for you. So I was thinking about relationships. We say something like, it's better to experience all of life with one partner than to experience a certain portion of life with many partners. It would be real easy to come across as a legalistic uh, pointing down on people and say, um, it's better to have one spouse forever than multiple spouses. Well, what's the divorce rate in our country? It's high. And I don't think people on their wedding day ever be like, hey, I halfway am agreeing to doing this. You wholeheartedly go in. But all of this stuff comes into play. The devil is at play. He wants to destroy your marriage. And, and then there are strongholds that get built. And then what happens, we stop giving the people close to us the best version of us. And we're looking at what we can get. And it tears stuff apart. And then marriages don't last. And we get remarried. Now, I could sit here and say, you're, if you're on your second or third, it can't be as good as the first because it's, but that's not true. That's not true. But here's the reality of it. I can't undo your past for you. I can't even undo my past for me. And it has been all over the place, my past. It's been in dark places. It's done, uh, I've done hurtful things. I can't undo the past, but Jesus can remake your future. That's the point of new rhythms. Start now. Jesus can set you on a new path by putting his heart in your chest and teaching you to move to his beat and giving you new rhythms to put into practice. But every path starts where you're at. And here's the reality. Where you're at moves as you grow. We're not always in the same place, but the connection point is always available. So don't wait for the right time to start or you'll never start. Don't wait till you're older. That's all of chapter 12. It's a crazy poem. It's like don't wait until your back hurts and your teeth don't work and you can't run because of your aches and, and you can't stand up for yourself because you're weak. That's all of chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes. Basically, he says this. Start in the wilderness what you say you would do on the throne. Oh, you want to be king? You want to be a boss? You want to lead a company? You want to lead culture? Start now where no one sees what you would do if everyone saw. Start in the mailroom what you would do in the boardroom. Start with $100 what you think you would do with $100,000. That'll... That'll preach. Because here's the reality. God isn't just taking you to a place. That's life under the sun. Solomon said it. We're all going to die. 
God, life following Jesus, he's not just taking you to a place, he's turning you into a person. So then when you read, whatever God leads you to do, do it with all your might. That's what Solomon says. Then you can grab on with both hands because it doesn't matter because we're doing it with the Lord, for the Lord, not with ourselves. We're going to honor him with what we earn. We're going to treat people. That's why here at the church we say we're a gathering people. We're a growing people. We're a giving people. These are rhythms. Rhythms take intentionality. Put it into practice with where you're at. Let me end with this verse. Do not be anxious about anything. Hey, happy Thanksgiving, by the way. This is a Thanksgiving verse. Do not be anxious about anything. That means don't let your stress be the stronghold in your life. But in everything, with prayer, supplication, supplication is earnestly asking, God, please, God, please help. God, please help. Supplication. Let your request be made known to God mm, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God in the peace of God. There's something that happens when we, seek, when we have these rhythms. It says that there's a peace that God will do that will guard your heart and guard your mind. And then he gives some rhythms. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worth praise, meditate about these things. That should be a rhythm. Meditate about these things. What you have seen and received in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. I hope you guys have been blessed by this series. I know I have. But here's the the end of the matter. The radical place, the radical middle, it's not a natural place. It's a supernatural place. It's not a place that you'll naturally go. It's a place that you have to endeavor to go. The radical middle is a place where heaven and earth connect. The radical place is not an easy place. It requires saying no to yourself often and saying yes to others. The radical middle is a place where the struggle is real. And it is a place of active involvement. It requires daily participation in both the kingdom of God and the world in which we live. See, the radical middle is just that. It's the middle. Sometimes and often it is misunderstood by both sides. The radical middle is the place of the peacemaker. And Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. It's the, it's the people, it's the place. The radical middle is the place where Jesus is. And it's the place that he is inviting us to join him there. It's the place I want to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning and for your word and for Solomon and for the book of Ecclesiastes and for all that you're doing. We thank you, Lord, that you have a way
that not only um, can, can undo the things of our past, but you can actually remake our future. You have a way forward that is uniquely yours, and it is the way of peace. It is the way of eternity. And we just want to meet you in that place, Lord. So we sing this song to you. We look at this next season in our year as we turn our hearts and turn our minds toward the birth of your son, the coming Messiah, the one who would walk the radical middle perfectly so we could pattern our lives after him. But this morning, Lord, we love you. We sing this song to you in Jesus' name. Amen.